Let me tell you about a story of three young men, well, not so young, their mother was aging, and they'd all done well in life thanks to the good parenting they had. And so they wanted to return the favour. And so each of them bought their mum, their aged mum, a present. So the first one, well, did something for them. The first one built her a house, massive house, you know, and sent the key off to her and said, Mum, I've built you a house. So thank you for everything you've done for me. The second son bought his mum a Mercedes Benz, you know, uh, along with a, a chauffeur, you know, and sent it off to his mum so she could be driven around, would have no worries about getting from A to B. And the third thought, well, my mum loves the Bible, but as she's aging, she can't read the Bible, and she's forgetting. So he, he got this parrot that had been trained for 12 years by the elders of a church, and he could quote every verse in the Bible. All you have to do is give the verse, the chapter and verse, and the parrot could recite it verbatim from the King James Version of the Bible. The authentic one, right, okay? So he sent it off to his mother, and sometime later they all got responses from their mum, and the first one with the house, he goes, thank you for the house, but it's too big for me. I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. Thank you. Okay. And to the guy with the Mercedes, he goes, thank you for the Mercedes Benz. I don't go out. You know, I'm not in most of the time. And besides, that driver, he's right rude, you know. And then to the, to the third one who sent to the parrot, it was a much more cheerful noise. He goes, thank you, David. That chicken was delicious. Okay. Yeah, it was really appreciated. Okay. Now, parrots are not for eating. Okay. I want to talk about gifts, not of a parrot. I'm sure they make a good gift, but of the gift, the greatest gift that we've ever been given, and it's captured in the essence of these verses. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life you see the gift there it's just a short verse it's, it's incredible it's loaded and we're going to spend the next 25 minutes or so just looking at some of the detail there Look, our heading is uh, the father's gift to the world the Father's gift to the world. I'm going to break it up into several portions. Look, I'm going to try my glasses. So bear with me. I don't know if I'm going to manage, but it just means I can actually see what I've written. Otherwise, I have to try and remember what I've written. Okay, so look, there we go. Uh, it, it may make sense this week. Right, okay? So look, the first, the first part, the first point is this. Okay, our heading is the Father's gift to the world. Our first subheading is the gift. Let's begin with the gift. The gift. He gave his one and only son. So the gift is God's son. Look, Christmas is coming up. It's amazing how, how, how it just comes up, just creeps up on you, doesn't it? You know, I mean, are they playing carols at the shopping centres yet? Does that happen? I mean, does that happen here? I can't, I can't recall. It's November. This is no joke. In the UK, September, I'm sure. You know, we're beginning to hear carols, the decorations are getting together. Okay, so look, it's, Christmas is coming up. It'll remind us when we'll reflect more poignantly on this event when God sent us the greatest gift. Incidentally, it's why we give gifts. 
at Christmas. It's okay to give gifts at Christmas. I'll have them if you don't want them. You know, because, look, you know, remember we said there's nothing intrinsically evil about any of these things. You know, you can give a gift to somebody out of generosity. You can give the gift to somebody, a gift to somebody, because you're doing it in appreciation of the gift that God has given you. See, that's how we put a positive spin on all these things. We give gifts because we're doing what the Father did for us. So we'll give Theo a gift. Because Jesus gave us a gift, and so we'll give him a gift. And so look, God gave Jesus to us, his son. Here's the words, the famous Christmas words. Okay, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son. God gives us the greatest possible and the most valuable thing that he has. Look, when we give gifts at Christmas, the things we buy or make or cook, God gives an extension of himself. You see, he's called the Son of God. And this is where, um, you know, people, you know, even ourselves, you know, I'm sure some of us here, no doubt, confuse the term. When we say Jesus is God's Son, we're not talking about a son in the sense that Theo is, is, is our son. It's not like that at all. You know, he, he, he hasn't been given birth to. It's, it's actually what God is doing, and we have to appreciate this. Because, look, if you're anything like me, you're going to be dumb. Seriously. You know, we're so primitive, we have to use language. And it's only got so many words in. You know, and look how restrictive even the English language is. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm going between Bengali and English. That's my, the tongue that, in the country where I was born. Because, because English is limited. It, it, I can't get out what I want to say. And sometimes I'm thinking in, in another layer. You know, I, don't, I won't use those words necessarily because then you really will be confused, even more than I confuse you normally. Okay? But we're so restricted, we, we can't communicate well. And so when God communicated to us through the medium of language, it, it's difficult. He can't convey the awesome complexities of his thoughts through the medium of words. It's virtually impossible. And so when, when he chooses that word and he conveys that word to John who puts it in the gospel and when Jesus is called God's son, he's not a son in the term that we understand it. He hasn't been born. God didn't have a relationship with Mary as some assume. No, what he means is something like this. And it takes multiple words. That he's the exact image of God. You know, you know, Theo looks a little like me, a little like Naomi. You know, but Jesus is the exact image of God. Do you see the point? In, in that sense, he's a son. He's a son also in that he takes... See, back in, in, that, in that era, you normally followed your father's profession. If your father was a blacksmith, you would be a blacksmith. You see, that's how you knew he was somebody's son. And so Jesus is God's son in the sense of his occupation. Do you get it? Everything that the Father does, the Son does also. He's the Son of God in the sense that He's God's equal. Look, uh, I'm no greater a person than Theo. Theo's getting a lot of mentions this morning, isn't he? <laughs> this Father's Day. See, I'm no greater person than Theo. He's no lesser of a person than me. He may be miniature. Mind you, he's not much miniature because I'm not that big, am I? Okay, right, okay. But he's not any less than me. He's everything that I am, right? Jesus is no less than God. He's equally God. And can you see the point when we talk about Jesus is God's son? He's 
God's son in that sense. And so therefore what God gives to us. And he'd be, why? Well, it's, it's much more weighty than if I were to give Theo away. I sometimes want to do that. <laughs> Every morning at 8 o'clock when, you know, when he's like, you know, put your uniforms on, please. Uh, is it just me or do, do you have to ask 10 times for that to actually occur? I mean, maybe it's just our house. It's a lack of discipline. It runs in the family, you see. <laughs> right, okay. But look, you know, if I were to give Theo away, that would be big, but for God to give his son, his equal, who's existed alongside him, who's one with him, in essence, in substance, not just to give away, to perhaps to have a better life sometimes, you know, in some poorer countries, you may, and this happens today, you may give your son or daughter away, seriously. Hundreds of miles away from where you live because you can't afford to feed them. And so you give them away because you know that it's beneficial to their health and future. They'll be a servant in somebody's house. And, and, that, and as a consequence of that, they'll get board and lodgings, you see. But God gives his son away. And we're going to see a bit later, actually, there's something much weightier. He gives us his son. So the gift is God's son. I spent way too much time on my first point. I've got six to get through. Six. So let me rush. Okay, so the second point. The first one is the gift is God's son. The second one is the recipients. The recipients. Who does he give his son to? And this is the wonder of it. And this is why it's great if you're an Aussie. We're not real Aussies, but we're pretending to be ones, hoping to be ones. Okay, but look, if you're an Aussie, it's good news for you. Okay, look, because he gives his son to the world, to whoever. And that does include people on the other side of the world in Australia. Except we're not on the other side of the world now, are we? This is our side of the world, isn't it? I'm going to bag that too. This is, everyone else is on the other side of the world. They're all down under, okay? We're the ones who are the right way up. Well, at least right now we are. It may all change by the time you go to sleep. So look, what this just simply means, and it's wonderful, when Jesus came to the Jewish race, Look, I love Jewish people, as we all should do, as we should love all races. But Jewish people assumed something. What did they assume about Jesus? Someone shout out. What did they assume about Jesus? He's just for them. Really, that was the assumption. And as for those Gentile Australians... Okay, well, you know, they can, you know, do whatever they were doing back then. No... But the wonder of this is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. This is a conversation he's having with Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, Look, for God so loved the world. That was revolutionary. That's a bit like the, uh, the crows, the, the, the crows, even. The crows, the crows, if I can pronounce it right. Now, look, I don't know nothing about football. That's a bit like saying, uh, God loves. Who, who's, who's the opposite team? Oh, this is a poor illustration. Who's Port Side, is it? What are they called? What are they called? Power. Port power. Port power. It's a bit like saying to a Crows fan, look, God loves... Who are they? Port power. Port power. I mean, I mean that's revolutionary. That could be dangerous, couldn't it? To say that on the wrong side of Adelaide Stadium could get you killed, possibly. Okay. For Jesus to say, God loves the world in a tight Jewish 
environment. A non-Gentile environment. What was actually dangerous. But truthful. Truthful. The gift of God is not to one ethnic race. It's not to one group of people. It's not to any group of people at all, actually. It's to the world. For God so loved the world that whoever, and so that includes you, includes your relatives, wherever they may live, it includes every single person on this planet. You know, sometimes when I tell people, it's, I find it's hilarious actually, when I tell people I'm a Christian, you know, they go, oh, you mean like a, like a Muslim Christian? Because, because some people just can't get it through their head because they assume that to be a Christian, you have to be white. I mean, look, duh, not even Jesus was white. I mean, come on. Okay, it's those paintings, isn't it? It's terrible, terrible paintings of Jesus with blue eyes and, uh, and I've got nothing you know, against blue eyes. You know, blue eyes and blonde hair or whatever. Uh, look, Jesus isn't for white people. Uh, I'll get shot here. I think I'm the, no, there's, there's another ethnic minority in this room. Okay, Jesus isn't for white people, or even pink people, or even brown people, or wealthy people, or, or people you know, who are successful. Jesus is for the world. It's not a religion that's tied to any one group of people but to all people. This church ought to be, and there is some ethnic mix here, it ought to reflect the world. I guess it does, does in one sense. You've got a guy and a girl from the other side, and then you've got these people who from here already. That, that covers the world, doesn't it? And everything in between. You've got Sangpian here, you've got Kate, born in another part of the world, me born in another, and I'm sure some of you are born elsewhere. We've got some Africans here. Thank you. You know, look, we do represent the world to some degree, don't we? Thank you. And, and we've got Diana from the key, you know, the Kiwi there. Thank you, Diana. And I've got Michael there from Essex. Essex, Michael. Yeah, I know he doesn't like that, but he's from Essex. Okay. So look, it's just wonderful. We are meant to be diverse because God's gift and the recipients of that gift is the world. You belong to Jesus, whoever you are, if you love him. Okay, the third one is this. The third one is this, the reason. The reason. Why did God do this? Okay, look. So that we should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the sobering part of the message, friends. Hey, however wonderful life may be, if we're without this gift, if we're without Jesus, it will end in tragedy. That is a clear message of the Bible. That humanity is so at odds with its maker that the end of our lives will bring us face to face with him and ultimately into judgment. You see, no one is exempt. Romans 3.23 says these words, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means that there are no exemptions. No one, no matter where we're born or how good we think we've been, no one is exempt because no one can meet the standard that God is himself. You see, the standard of God is God. 
And, and therefore, no one can meet that. And the Bible is clear, and Jesus is clear here in his conversations in Nicodemus, that, that without him, we perish. And, and that perishing isn't we just disappear. I don't think it's that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Now, I think the Bible teaches something which is much harsher. Look, it uses terms like perish. It uses terms like eternal suffering. It uses terms like hell. You see, it is serious. It's deadly serious. And so this gift is an essential gift that every human on our planet needs. There's a reason, look, part of the giving that you've so kindly given this, this morning will go to ensure that the gospel reaches people in our community. I don't know if you heard that. You, in that offering, whether you did it through direct debit or the pay wave or the cash, that offering was your contribution to getting Jesus to our community and beyond. Really. You know, you may sometimes think, you know, I don't do much evangelism. You've just done some evangelism this morning. And God bless you. We have a responsibility, friends, to get this message to our world. We have a responsibility. Without badgering you, I don't want to pester you. I know you can't all be there on Friday, the 18th of 5pm. But if you can be there, come please. Because this is a real serious message that we have. Our world needs Jesus. Because without him, people perish. But God sent his gift so that there would be hope for us. Jesus is that hope. And we're going to see more of that now. Next, the means. The means. Jesus is that means. Listen to this. He gave his one and only son. The, the, the way that God brings us to himself, that the purpose that he sends Jesus is that Jesus is the means through which we get right with God, that we have our sins dealt with, that, 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 we, that we will no longer perish. You see, we know that Jesus died on his journey to earth. It's a well-known fact that he was put to death on the cross. It's hence why we have one. We know that. And it can seem carnally like a tragic end to life. I mean, if you know anything about the cross, you know that it was a gruesome, vile, that some historians have said it's one of the cruelest forms of execution ever Invented And it was invented. You know, some modern-day forms of execution where they exist are generally designed to bring about death pretty rapidly. They're not generally about punishment. They're about extinguishing life. Crucifixion was all about torture and prolonged pain. It was invented to prolong the experience and the agony of death. Always bringing someone to the brink of death, but keeping them from death. So that the agony and the torture went on and on. And sometimes it could go on for days. God sent his son into our world to die on that cross. He did it intelligently. He knew exactly what he was doing. 
It was deliberate. It was the only means to deal with our sins. You see, our sins are such weighty things that we can't remedy, remedy them ourselves. And no amount of good behaviour. Look, we encourage good Christian conduct. It's good that we should live like Jesus. But no amount of good conduct can reverse the impact of sin. It's not as though we can commit one bad sin and then do one good thing and they balance themselves out. It doesn't work like that. We do not possess the power to remedy sin. And so God sent Jesus, and this is, this is a technical term in Romans 3.23, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. It's technical, I know. It means something this simple. It simply means that God had Jesus crucified on the cross to take on the agony the torture and the punishment the sin deserves so that he would fully absorb and fully extinguish all the wrath of God towards sin. That's what that verse means. And God sent his son to that. He sent him so that our sins would be dealt with. Jesus really did die for us. I found a headline when I was preparing this message uh, from back in 2017. And look, it's a situation that we recognise happens often, sadly, in our world. Look, the emotional mother of 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 children saved in in a dangerous surf by a heroic stranger who lost his life says she doesn't know how to thank him. Sean Oliver, a father of three, drowned when he jumped into treacherous waters to help a man try to save his kids who were struggling in the rough conditions. He's a father and a husband too. He lost his life. I don't know what we can say to his family. And an emotional Islam Hamid said to her Wollongong home today. I can't thank I can't find the words to thank him because thank you is just a little word. Die trying to save or saving a family. And it happens, doesn't it? And, and we see this and look, there's some parallel between that and what Jesus did. That man died to save that family. Jesus died to save us. And so we can see some parallels there. There's many others. But there's, there's one quintessential difference, a key difference, is that Jesus went into the surf dived into our world, went to the cross knowing his fate. Knowing that there was no hope he was ever going to come out of it. Knowing the torture that faced him. And he went voluntarily to his death. It's what makes this so unique. Jesus died for our sins. He says in Mark 10, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The next, the response, number five, we've just got one more after this, the response. So what do we do? What do we do? This, you know, you're listening, I'm listening. Believe it or not, you might not be aware of this. When I'm speaking, I'm listening too. So we're listening. You know, and the question that's coming to my mind is, you know, what, what do we do with this? You know, you know, do we thank you wasn't enough for that man who saved that family? Do we just say thank you to Jesus? Is, is that what he wants? You know, what do you do? do you, you know, do you just say thank you? God tells us what he wants of us. Listen, this is what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
And whatever else is associated with finding Jesus, it's a base level, ground zero. It begins and ends really with believing in Jesus. The response that God wants from us, that he calls for us, the response that connects us to Jesus, that that downloads the benefit of his death, the way that we become beneficiaries of that, is is by believing. I know it seems basic, elementary, but it contains everything that God wants you to see, because he wants you to believe in Jesus. That That includes believing that he exists, but it's much more. It's believing that, that he, can, he can take my soul, you know, receive my soul and take it into heaven. It's believing that he can do that. It's believing that he can help me in life's journey to walk through it. It's believing that he sets the example that I should follow in how I conduct myself. It's believing that he is my creator and that, that, that I owe him. He has a right to stipulate that my allegiance. Can you see that word believe? It's pregnant, if you like. Friends, Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't want to cheapen Christianity, but neither do I want to weigh it down with complexities that don't belong to the essentials of faith. Because here is where it begins. Your faith, authentic faith, your heartfelt faith, the faith that you've received from Jesus, that faith, when it's exercised in Jesus, brings you into relationship with him. Gives you forgiveness and peace and hope of heaven. And that's something we've said in weeks gone by, can never be snatched from you. You can't outlive, however bad you may think you are, Jesus' attachment to you. Faith is the response that God calls for. And if you've responded to Jesus like that, then you are his. You belong to him. I need to finish. I want to move on to my, to my last point, Sid, please. The giver, number six. So we miss the next verse out. Uh, let me finish here with the giver, number six. You see, as much as Jesus came to our world, gave his life for us, it was ultimately God's or the Father's initiative. Look at the verse again, would you? And look, you answer the question. You, you don't need to be a theologian or gone to Bible college okay, to, to work this out. Who is the initiator of this gift? Who gave the gift? It's God. And Jesus said so later in John. Here's the important thing for us to understand is that this is the Father's gift to us. It's God who sends His Son. It's God who took the initiative. Jesus in one sense is responding to his father's request for dying for us. You see, he did die because he loves you. It's absolutely true. But the a priori reason that Jesus went to the cross was as an act of loving obedience to his father. Jesus is the father's gift to you. And it's his gift to you because of his, look, for God so 
loved the world. And here's, here's what I want to leave you with today, friends. That God gives us the costliest gift, the thing most precious to him, uh, the, the person who's an extension of himself who is one with him, who is so one with him that the two can't be distinguished. Jesus said so, that they're so alike in every single detail that you cannot distinguish the two. Remember what he says in John 14 to Philip? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay, They're indistinguishable. They're so one. And yet God gives him to you and the reason he gives him to our world to his death for our salvation okay it's for no gain to God in one sense but it was due to his love for you for God so loved the world Aussies included seriously that he gave his one and only son it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's touching. It's moving. It's powerful. That the being out there who created us, who knows everything about you, all the ugly stuff, so loved you that he gave his son for you for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life